Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm uh, Ted Odorico and right alongside of course uh, every week uh, is uh, Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller. Good morning Cindy. Good morning Ted. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. A little yeah a little uh, Cindy's a little under under the weather this morning but like a the true champ that she is uh, she's here to uh, to help navigate through the show this morning, so we're gonna we're gonna go a little easier on you, Cindy, because I know you got a busy day ahead and you're trying to get everything organized. But let me just um, remind everybody, uh, we are live every Tuesday mornings, uh, unless otherwise stated here on BlogTalkRadio.com uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, best way to find us, of course, is go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Women of Golf is the link. Or just type Women of Golf up in the search key, and that'll take you to the main page uh, to the live broadcast on Tuesdays. And for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. Uh, there is an on-demand section at that link, and you can just scroll down and, and select any of the, uh, the previously aired um, shows that you may have missed and uh, listen to them when it's convenient for you. Also available on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com. Again, in the search key under podcast, type uh, Women of Golf, and that will get you there uh, to the list as well. Uh, always uh, look forward to hearing from you, so we always encourage you to call in if you can. Uh, n- number is area code 347-945-5855, and uh, we'll be more than happy to uh, to take your calls. Um, also, if you're interested in coming on the show, if you're somebody in the golf profession, whether you're a teach professional or maybe a player uh, or somebody in the golf industry, and you'd like to come on the show, uh, please reach out to either one of us. Uh, you can reach out to Cindy at Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com, uh, or you can also reach out to me at Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com. I've got a great show for you this morning. We're going to continue on, of course, with the Own Your Game series. Uh, and joining us here in just a few moments is going to be Symmetra Tour player uh, Dana, uh, Dana excuse me, Finkelstein. And then a little bit later on uh, in the broadcast, uh, LPJ uh, teacher professional Carol Clark uh, will be jumping in on the call as well. So, uh, glad you could join us, and Cindy, I hope you feel a little bit better. Um, I want to well, just thank ver- you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try not to engage you too much because I know um, I, I've been there myself many times. But uh, Cindy, I just wanted to, to talk just a little bit while we're waiting for Dana to, to come on board. Uh, of course, this past weekend was the uh, the Masters tournament, and uh, unfortunately, young Jordan Spieth uh, wasn't able to pull it through and, and win back to back. And something I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed how much of it you watched, Cindy, but one of the things I noticed, and it kind of began a little bit on Saturday, um, you know, he, he mentioned in, in uh, his comments after the round that his driver kind of let him down, and he wished he had have gone back to his three-wood a little bit just to, to get that accuracy. And I, and I saw it on, I think it was uh, number 11, uh, on his approach shot, 
he hit it uh, to the front right portion of the green, which really isn't a bad shot. Uh, for a professional it is, but for, for the rest of us, it's probably a pretty good shot uh, to hit the green anywhere there. Um, but I, I noticed a little bit of temperament with him there. He seemed to be a little bit um, uh, disjointed, if you will. And I noticed on Sunday, Cindy, when he came out, uh, you know, he started out pretty good, but then there were moments where, especially when he hit the back nine, where things were just not gelling for him. What I noticed most, and I don't know if you did or not, but it looked like he had a hard time getting back into his routine. Did you notice that as well? I didn't get to see him because we were finishing up boot camp and we were um, on the way to the airport, but I tried to watch live needless to say, as much as I could. Um, but every time he misses it, he misses it right. Yep. And I think what probably happened, and again, today's part of the Own Your Game Academy is a mental game. Yep. Um, I think he was shocked at the bogey at 11. Yeah. And then probably didn't follow his routine enough on 12. Mm-hmm. And then when he hit it in the water, he didn't stop and think long enough to commit to what he was doing. And yep. the gerbil in his head was probably saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, don't blow this, don't blow this. <laughs> you know, so, again, what you can say is it happens to the best of us. Yeah. And so if you, I mean, it's just so sad to witness. But on the other hand, I think he's going to learn the lessons, and I think he'll come back better for this right but i'm so proud of him for birdie in the next hole yeah after making a quad it's just holy cow what a shame yeah it, it is it is tough to watch that you know he held the 54 hole lead uh coming into sunday and uh you know obviously there were a few uh players uh danny willett of course being the ultimate masters champion uh for this year uh, nipping at his heels along the way, but he, he did have a, a pretty good lead. I think actually at one point I heard, I didn't see it all myself either, but uh, I think he was actually either six or eight strokes up on everybody at one point. Uh, and then, of course, it, you know, he had those few bad holes there. But I, I noticed that too a little bit, you know, and, and the other thing I noticed too is he backed away from a lot of shots. You know, he'd get lined up, he'd be ready to go, and he kept backing off, especially on, on the greens. And that just, you know, sort of resonated with me that he wasn't comfortable over the shot and had to regroup, which is good. Um, but he, it happened uh, very frequently uh, in that back nine. And uh, I just wondered if, if he had a hard time settling into his routine. Um, but as you said, Cindy, I think he'll learn from this. Um, I see that Dana is ready. So let, let's bring her on. Um, our, our very special guest this morning. Uh, first up is of course, Metro tour player, uh, Dana Finkelstein. So let me bring uh, Dana on Cindy and we'll, uh, we'll carry on with the conversation. Good morning, Dana. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we're glad to have you, and um, we're, we're glad that you're able to join us this morning. We appreciate it very much, Dana. Um, Dana, let's just start off first. We were just talking very briefly um, about the Masters, and I, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Um, what were your thoughts watching the Masters, if you had a chance to watch uh, much of it or most of it or any of it? Uh, what were your thoughts uh, with this weekend's tournament? Yeah, I actually I didn't get an opportunity to watch really any of it. Um, once the tournament had finished up in Lake Wales, um, I got in the car and drove down to Fort Myers. Uh, so I listened to probably about an hour of it on the radio um, when I actually had a signal, but uh, I missed most of it. And um, mm. 
I heard it was pretty exciting. Yeah, it was, and, and as I said uh, a few moments ago, Danny Willett, of course, was the uh, the ultimate champion um, uh, of the Masters tournament. So I know he was quite excited. They had several sh- camera shots of him uh, throughout the, the the remaining moments before it was officially announced, and you could see the excitement building on his face. and And it was very sad, um, you know, to watch uh, somebody like Jordan, who really commanded the the lead um, for most of the tournament. Dana, you've been, I'm sure, in situations where you, you've, you know, um, been playing well in a round and then maybe you've had a few bad holes. How does it affect you? What, what, what goes through your mind when you get those bad holes? How do you regroup? Um, well, I think, like you guys were saying earlier, staying in your routine is really important when you have a couple bad holes. Um, if you stick to the process that and plan that you had in the beginning of the week, bouncing back shouldn't be very hard. Um, now, obviously, there's some, some situations where you can't, um, but I think as long as you've got a solid routine, um, you should be able to make birdies and uh, get that good play back. Right, right. Well said. Um, tell us a little bit about just about your background, Dana, just to, to let the listeners get an idea of, of how you sort of got into the game, how long you've played. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really start as young as most girls do. Um, always played a little bit because my dad was um, a very avid golfer, but I really didn't start taking it seriously until I was a freshman in high school and realized that I could probably get a scholarship out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Wasn't highly recruited um, from Arizona, and um, neither of the Arizona schools really took a look at me. So I I went, ended up going to school at UNLV, um, played Mm -hmm. there for four years, and ended up being one of the best or the best player in uh, UNLV women's golf history. Um, so wow. broke a lot of records and um, turned professional almost a year ago and now uh, full-time on the semester tour this year. And and obviously that gives you gave you a lot of confidence coming out of, uh, uh, of university, winning, uh, you know, breaking so many records and things like that. When you come out, what thought process goes through your mind? Obviously you want to get some wins and you want to do well coming out on the tour, but um, what thought process do you have when you're first coming out there? What's some of the first things that you think about? What do I need to do? This, what's my plan this year? Right. Yeah. And when I, when I first turned pro, um, I actually started at the cactus tour. Um, so they're mm-hmm. local in Phoenix and I, I played out there a little bit to gain some confidence in professional golf um, actually won three times on the Cactus Tour in, in six events I had played. So I had a lot of confidence in my game and being able to play for money. Um, then went to Q School over the summer and ended up going through all, all three stages and um, getting my card. So I, I, going through those steps prepared me um, for, to play professionally on the Symmetra Tour. So I feel really comfortable out here. Um, knowing that I've already had success in playing professionally. Very good. That's um, awesome. Now, how, did you play last year on Symmetra? I did not. I was still in college. Okay, so this is your first year. Yes. Yep. This awesome. Be, now, do you have any status? Event. Okay, cool. Sure. And did you do you have any status on the LPGA Tour? I do not. No. Yeah, but that's okay because you don't need it as long as you learn how to do this and then you get in the top ten. Which I see right. you finished T, T4 last week. That's great. 
I did, yes. It was a good week out there. And this week you're playing with um, 30 Legends Tour players, my buddies. Yeah, we are. Um, I believe we get the opportunity to play with them on Saturday and Sunday as they they start their tournament and we finish it, finish ours. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going to be playing in the one with um, in South Carolina next month in May. So hopefully okay. I'll get to meet you then. Yeah, I'll I'll be there. I'll I'll make sure we we meet up. Now let me ask you because it says here you're only five foot one. How do you hit a two forty five when you're only five foot one? <laughs> uh, I and can you of... teach me to hit a two forty five because <laughs> I want to hit a two forty five. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it takes a lot of hard work in the gym and um, been doing a lot of speed work in the off season to try to increase my swing speed. Um, so that's really helped help me um, be able to compete with these girls who are quite a bit taller than me. Well, that's cool. Well, I can I can tell you someone that's six foot four, it's getting more and more tough for me to hit a 245. So um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to take some pointers from Dana here and, and get into some of that speed training. Um, let, let me ask you, uh, Dana, we're on, one of the topics that we're talking about, Cindy uh, has put together a great, uh, what she calls Own Your Game series, uh, which is part of her Own Your Game Academy uh, that she uh, deals with. And one of the things that we're talking about this morning, and, and we're glad that you're able to join us, is the mental game. So we're, we're just going to ask you a few questions uh, about that. And I guess the first and foremost, um, do you consider the mental side of your, your game uh, uh, one of your strongest points, or is it an area that, that needs improvement? Um, I would consider it probably one of the stronger points in my, in my, in my game. I've never really worked with someone one-on-one, um, but mainly because I I felt like I haven't reached a point where I need to. Um, mm. So, yeah, I would consider my, my mental game to be really strong. And in, in a situation where, let's say, you know, and obviously you didn't have the, the, um, the opportunity to see it, but uh, Jordan, of course, in the Masters this weekend got to hole number 12, and Amen Corner, and ended up uh, shooting quadruple bogey. When you get in a situation, hopefully you've never had that happen to you yet, but uh, at some point you're going to have uh, certainly a bad hole here and there. What do you do mentally to sort of recover from a hole like that in, in order to, do you just sort of shake it off, or do you say to yourself, okay, that's in the past, we're going to move on and onto hole number 13 now. What's the process that you use uh, to get past a, a difficult hole like that. Yeah, I think when you have a difficult hole, you you have to put it out of your mind and completely forget about what has happened. Um, typically, what I would do is, if I had a bad hole, I would forget about it and say, "Hey, I have X amount of holes left. Let's try to chip away at what I have done and try to get a few birdies back in and." finish the round out strong and on a positive note instead of a negative note. And what about the takeaway long-term, you know, from maybe uh, being in a position of maybe leading a tournament? Um, and I don't know whether you've had that opportunity yet here. I mean, it's fairly early. I guess it's the first uh, couple of tournaments of the year, so you probably haven't had an opportunity yet. But um, if you go back to your, your tournaments in the Cactus Tour uh, that you won, you know, if you were leading the tournament at some point um, and maybe didn't finish uh, number one, how did you deal with that? How did you process that mentally long-term? What did you learn from it um, to move you forward into the next uh, next tournaments? 
Right, yeah, I've I've actually had had that happen. I lost in a playoff on the Cactus Tour once. And I think everyone needs to experience loss and um finishing second or having a blow up hole because it really does teach teach you a lot about your game and you have a lot of feelings running through you and so next time you're put in that position you kinda know how your body will respond and you can make it I mean do better the next time. Right. What um you know one of the things that I think a lot of amateurs deal with and, and maybe you can shed some light on this is they, they don't have they haven't learned that ability um, to be able to shake it off and to be able to move on. In fact, most amateurs, if they have a bad hole or two, will carry it throughout the entire round, and ultimately the, the round quite often will end up being a, a bad round. And then it just, it's, it's a constant reminder every time they go out, well, remember that, that round you know, last Saturday or two weeks ago, it sort of haunts them. What, what are some things that, that you could suggest that some of the amateurs that might be tuning in this morning could take away from, from your experience to help them uh, handle those situations a little bit better. Right, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with um, maybe their golfing experience or golf maturity. Um, one thing I like to do when I play um, is I like to play little three-hole mini tournaments within my 18 holes. Mm-hmm. So you, you, so if anything were ever to go wrong in those three holes, they're out of the way and you have another new three holes to kind of regroup and try to get a birdie and um, in those three holes. And that's kind of what I like to do when I play. It keeps things simple and it keeps me not trying to press too hard and it keeps me within those few holes instead of thinking further into my round like, oh, I have to birdie all these holes coming in. You're just thinking about your next three. And, and I, I can see mentally how that would give you um, really a positive imagery because instead of focusing on the entire 18 and, and really kind of being overwhelmed by that, by having sort of, you know, multiple mini uh, events, if you will, within a round of golf makes it a little bit easier to, to um, focus on. Would, would that be your, your approach to it? Yes, exactly. And then, so, I mean, if you make a birdie in one of your three holes, it, it sounds a whole lot better that you're one under through three instead of one under through 18. So you just kind of keep trying to get at one under or even par through your three holes. Or if you're an amateur, even just maybe making three bogeys is good for you in three holes and you just set goals that are applicable to you. Right, right. And, and actually, um, Cindy, we had a... a one of the other um, tour players on here recently that does uh, something very similar to, to what Dana's referring to. And I, I don't recall uh, the player's name. I think name it might have been top. Jessica Wallace. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Cause she said that as well, um, I, I, that she sort of breaks it down into three holes um, like that. And, and I, I think that's a great idea. And I think from a mental standpoint, um, again, it's, it's, you know, if you're only playing three holes, I mean, ultimately you're playing 18, but if you're only playing three holes in your mind at a time, uh, I can see where that would be, um, somewhat of an advantage. Um, Dana, what about some of the strengths of your game? Uh, you mentioned, you know, you're pretty strong on the mental side of the game, but what are some of the other strengths uh, of your game? Um, I would say I'm a, I'm a good ball striker. I think that's with my size, what has kept me, um, competing, um, throughout all these years, uh, I call myself a little bit of a range rat, so I love to go to the range and 
just beat balls. Um, it's <laughs> kind of where I get some comfort. And, right. um, yeah, I would also say I have a, a pretty good short game. Um, but I think those are my probably my two strengths right there. What uh, what about the weaknesses? What areas um, would you say need most improvement that you're really sort of working on now? Yeah, um, I'd say putting. Um, you could you can always get better at putting. Um, I recently switched to a putting specific golf coach, and we've been working really hard this off season, and um, it's really shown in my golf game. A lot of my my stats I've been keeping for putting have improved. Um, drastically in the last few tournaments. So I'm looking forward to to keep working on it and see my stats improve. That's yeah. awesome. Who are you going to see? His name's Craig Renshaw. He's um, out of the Legacy Golf Academy in Arizona. That's awesome. Hmm. Very good. Um, so obviously being your first year on the Symmetra Tour, you've got uh, the whole season ahead of you. Um without getting too far ahead of yourself, what what are your short-term and what are some of your long-term goals for the season? Um, short-term goals will probably be I'd, I'd like to win a tournament sometime soon. And then long-term would be, obviously, at the end of the year, I'd love to be top 10 on the money list and gain my LPGA card for 2017. Right. Well, that's uh, those are definitely some great goals. If you could sort of sum up, um, you know, for some of the amateurs out there, I mean, you obviously have, have opportunities. To, you, you've played, I'm sure, with with many amateurs over the years as you were coming up through the ranks and that, and you've had the opportunity to watch a lot of others play. Um, what are some things that you see, some mistakes that you see a lot of amateurs making, and if you were sort of their coach or go-to person, what would you advise them on how they could improve their game? I would say go to the putting green um, you can, or, or the chipping area. Uh, I see way too many amateurs go straight to the driving range before they play and never spend enough time on either chipping or putting. And You can save so many, so many shots during a round um, if you can be successful at getting up and down. Right. Yeah, that's definitely uh, – I think we can all concur on that. Um, a lot of amateurs, you know, um, like to spend time in the range. I, I enjoy spending time in the range as well, but I, I go and practice with a purpose, as I'm sure you do as well, Dana. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not just there sort of raking and hitting balls. You're, you're there with a purpose in mind and, and working on certain specifics of your game. Um, and, and a lot of amateurs, I think, just don't really have any direction. They don't know what to do. They get out there and you know, they'll maybe go and have a few lessons here and there, but they don't really listen to, to what the coach is telling them or the, you know, the teacher professionals telling them and don't really put into practice what they've been taught. So they just keep repeating the same mistakes. And, and as I'm sure you know, if you keep making the same mistakes, you're going to have the same outcome. So um, what, what I wanted to ask you just sort of finally here is um, you've, you've obviously made a commitment to playing – um, this game, this is something that you didn't maybe start as early as others uh, out there, um, but somewhere along the line you got bitten by the golf bug. One of the things that Cindy and I want to do with this program is we're really trying to encourage women, not just young women, but older women as well, uh, to get out there and play, just to have fun in that. What are some things that you could suggest um, to the industry as a whole 
um, to really encourage more uh, women and young girls to get involved in golf? What are some of the benefits that you would um, maybe articulate if you were sort of in charge um, to encourage some of the young girls to come out and play? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to make it fun for the little kids. Um, that's one thing that um, back in Phoenix, the LPJ USJ Girls Golf have a new director, um, and she mm. – um, her name's Corey, I believe, and she, I follow her on Instagram and see her every once in a while in the Phoenix area, and she has the cutest little fun tournament set up for all these girls. Um, I think it was last week I saw the, they had some Flounders Cup, and the girls who won end up getting to bring home little goldfish as their first prize. Um, so just things like that, just to make it fun and not something that should be stressful and I think the parents also need to let their kids just experience all sorts of sports instead of making, oh, my kid's going to play golf for the rest of my for the rest of their life. They need to let their kids explore other sports, and if they happen to like golf, then down the road maybe you can get an right. instructor and start to make it a little more specific. But I think having fun that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, do you think that maybe to just sort of a follow-up to that, do you think that maybe um, you, you kind of made a, a comment there, and I, and I agree with you, that you have to make it fun um, and sort of let the, the student or let the child, as they develop, if they want to get more serious about it, then bring in somebody. Do you think one of the, the mistakes that's being made now is that a lot of youngsters that maybe express an interest to golf, they're sort of corralled into um, you know, sort of a regiment, if you will, at a, such an early age, that maybe they're not really sure what they want, but the parents are a little bit uh, influential in that area. Um, is that something that you have seen a little bit yourself? And um, how do we sort of combat that, if you will? Yeah, I see it. I see it all, all far, far too often, um, especially practicing in Phoenix. I, I kind of move around to different golf courses, and sometimes you'll see little kids out there with their parents and their parents are drilling them on how to do this and how to hold the club. And the kids right. just don't look like they're having fun. Um, and I think that's where as a parent, I think some parents just don't know how to go about it. So maybe some more information needs to be put out there. And um, so the parents can help their kids have fun instead of the kids just going because their parents are forcing them to, or um, right. whatnot. Right. Well, Dana, we want to thank you for, for joining us. We know you've got a, a busy schedule ahead and you've got a tournament coming up and uh, we want to wish you the best of luck uh, this year on the Symmetra Tour and that all of your goals get reached. And we hope that you'll come back and join us uh, when, you, when you lock in that first win and, and, uh, and share that with us uh, on the program. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Good luck, um, Dana. Keep playing well. I'll tell all my buddies I said hi and I'll see you in a month. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dana. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. All right. That was our very special guest from uh, off the Symmetra Tour, Dana Finkelstein. Um, definitely has, uh, you know, uh, there's a pattern, Cindy, and, and you may agree with this, that I've noticed with a lot of these young players coming in off the Symmetra Tour is um, not only they're very confident, but they're very focused and very driven on what their goals are. They know exactly what they want. They know exactly how to um, keep themselves motivated. 
and they just seem to have um, a sense of purpose and direction of, of how they want to handle themselves. And they just there's no bones about it. It's just this is what I'm focusing on. This is what I'm working on. And they're very, um, you know, very articulate in, in what they're planning to do. Do you see that as well? Yeah. They, well, they get such great training in college. Yeah. Um, and they just they need to know how to do it. It's a business, and they're their only inventory, so they need to know what they're doing. Right. Um, it, it's just, uh, you know, I've as I said, I've noticed this uh, here over these last couple of years since we've been having a lot of them on, um, you know, it's just it's just amazing the the detail and and, and focus that uh, these young young ladies have. I mean, you know, some of them are are barely into their twenties, and uh, they're just very very professional. Very, um, you know, it, obviously the uh, different programs that are available through the LPGA and and different uh, avenues. Uh, as as she mentioned, the LPGA uh, U.S. Girls Golf is a great program uh, nationwide. And uh, it's certainly uh, it's certainly helping to develop uh, a lot of these great young ladies uh, into whether they end up um, you know winning the next uh, LPJ event or um, you know going on the other side of it and becoming a great teaching professional and helping others um, you know become their best and, and enjoy the game uh, like our next guest uh, Carol Clark it's just uh, an testament to uh, the LPJ organization and all of its members so. Um, let's bring uh, let's bring Carol. Let me just do a, a, a brief introduction here, uh, and then we'll bring uh, Carol to join us on the program. Uh, she actually played. It's very interesting. I was reading through some of the notes that she sent you, Cindy, and uh, she actually played fast pitch softball throughout high school, and uh, was actually recruited by the Ohio State University. Um, uh, when she was young, of course, she uh, was married fairly young. Married her high school sweetheart and. Uh, not long after graduation, became a stay-at-home stay mom. Excuse me for uh, for about eight years. Uh, her dad, uh, as she uh, put it, loves uh, loved golf and uh, would spend uh, a lot of their vacations in northern Michigan playing golf every day. And it was through that uh, that time that she was hooked. Uh, her obsession, of course, turned into uh, becoming a professional as a teaching and club professional. And she wanted to essentially learn the business from the ground up. And uh, she has traditionally been an outside uh, services person, assistant golf professional at uh, both public, semi-private resort and private uh, golf facilities, as well as having owned her own uh, practice facility in uh, North Carolina. And uh, she actually uh, co-hosted uh, a golf radio program and even caddied for a nationwide tour player during a PGA Tour event in South Carolina. And uh, she says she's got a funny story to share how she became an LPGA member. So let's, uh, uh, let's bring uh, Carol Clark uh, to join us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all? We're fine. We're, do, we're doing very well. Um, Carol, I wanted to, to allow you to have more time on here. There's, there's many, many uh, other things that you've done uh, throughout your career. So why don't you just uh, share a little bit more with us of, of some of the things that you did uh, on your journey, and then I, I would love for you to sort of share your, your story on how you became an LPGA member. Well, I'd love to. Thank you both for having me on the show. I was listening to, have, to the previous speaker, Dana, and how she had a little late start in the game. My start in the game was a little later than hers. I, as, a, as you mentioned in my introduction, I was a softball player. I had no interest in playing golf. I thought it was a silly game, chasing a little ball around. My dad was left-handed. I was right-handed. There was really no opportunity. But I would take his club. Imagine this. When he was 
when he was playing, the clubs were still made of wood. You know, the the drivers mm-hmm. and the fairway clubs were still made of wood. And I, if I got an interest in playing, I'd either take his club out, which was left-handed, and I'd go in the field behind our house. I grew up behind a schoolyard, which is a great playground mm-hmm. for me my entire young life. And I'd take that left-handed club and I'd hit it around the schoolyard, or I would take a little saw and cut off the back side of that club and put a piece of balsa wood or something on there and turn it into a right-handed club. I don't think mm-hmm. I ever got grounded or 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 yelled at for doing that. I can't imagine how many clubs I destroyed of my dad's. But um, So I played around with it. I never played a round of golf probably until I was in my 20s, maybe a little bit uh, with some friends, things like that. But, boy, I remember the trip to, Mich- to northern Michigan, and we were up there for about a week, and we played golf every single day. And after that week, I went to my dad and I said, you know what, Dad, I, I think I'm a golfer. And he about jumped out of his skin because he had been trying to get me to play and trying to get me to play. And it was at that moment that um, golf became my passion. And then I was able to turn my passion into my profession. So, um, like I say, I was probably in my late, mid-20s. I remember a high school uh, reunion. I think it was my 10-year reunion. And then, like I said, I, I got married right after high school. So I didn't go to college. I just did the mom thing and when I went to that reunion and everybody was putting something behind their name, you know, their PhD or MD or whatever they had. And I thought, you know what, before I go to my 20-year reunion, I'm going to put LPGA behind my name. And so that was my goal. And, um, you know, I'll get into that funny story if you'd like me to, but, you know, mm-hmm. just just to encourage people that play golf, you know, if, if it really is your passion, you can do whatever you want with it. It's been It's been a great game for me. Well, we would certainly love for you to share uh, share that story with us, and um, we're we're all ears. Okay. All right. Well, Cindy, you probably remember back when um, Dr. Betsy Clark was at headquarters um, for us. Yeah. Great. Yeah, she was great. So. Yeah, she is. Here I am. Here, here I am. I've been playing some golf with some friends, and you know, most of the time when I play golf, well, all the time when I play golf with my dad. He never let me play from the forward tees. He always made me play whatever tees he was playing. And he said, Carol, you play with whatever tees. Play whatever tees the group you're playing. Well, mostly I played with men, so I was always playing the men's tees and didn't really know how good or bad I was and, you know, didn't really care too much. But I could shoot some low scores, and people would tell me how, you know, boy, you hit it far. You know, you you, you should be on the tour. So I get the courage up to call LPGA headquarters, and they connect me to Dr. Betsy Clark. And I said, yeah, you know, um, I'm a pretty good golfer. I just wondered, you know, how to become a tour player? And Dr. Clark says, well, you know, you need about a three handicap or better to be out on tour because it's really tough out there. So I write that down, three handicap or better. You know. And she says, you know, you need you need some money behind you. You probably need some sponsorship because it takes a while to, to, to you know, get used to everything and, and maybe win a tournament, make some money. I was like, okay. So I wrote that down, need sponsorship. And she says, do you mind if I ask you what your handicap is right now? And I said, well, it's 20, but it's coming down. <laughs> she, she probably about choked on herself, and, you know, she took a <laughs> breath for a moment. She said, well, you know, we do have this teaching membership. And she started to explain how you get into teaching membership, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I said, well, that's really nice, but I'm going to be a tour player. So I hung up the phone. <laughs> 
And, you know, because in my mind, here I was thinking, you know, when I started the game, I was like a 36 handicap, right? And, and in less than a year, I got down to a 20. So it can't be that hard to get from a 20 to a 3, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So after about a year of working my butt off and sitting balls every day and working with an instructor and getting down to about an 8, I was like, you know... Maybe I need to call headquarters back and see how do you do that teaching membership because this is going to take a long time. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure Betsy doesn't even remember that phone call, but um, it was a humbling thing for me to realize this is a tough game and to compete at the level that these gals and these young men and these men are competing at, uh, it's, it's tough. It's more than just hitting balls. It's more than just putting a couple good rounds together and, and I like what Dana said about the three-hole tournaments. Um, right. That's a technique I use with a lot of my students to get them to overcome scoring barriers, which is a mental thing, um, mm-hmm. and getting them to move on to the next level of their game, their abilities. So it's interesting that she has that same concept. Now, now, Carol, you have really uh, an opportunity the best of both worlds. Uh, you reside in Fort Myers, Florida, obviously in the winter months, uh, working at Fiddlesticks um, there, and then you also work up in Cape Cod from May to October. So you you have that sort of happy balance of a little bit here in the south, and then you also have up in the, the northeast. Um, what are some things that, that you try to do? Obviously, when you're coming down here in the winter months, you're getting a lot of, um, I'm sure you, you deal with a lot of um, seniors and that that come down, some of the, what they refer to as snowbirds coming down, wanting to tune up their game. You said something very interesting in, in your um, story there. You talked about how, you know, at one point you were a 36 handicap and you dropped down basically in a year to 20. As you know yourself, the handicap setup here, a lot of people struggle. The, the handicaps have not budged barely an inch in the last two decades, despite all equipment and things like that. What do you try to do with your students to help them first be realistic in their expectations? But then also, how do you help them do what you did in, in ratcheting those, those scores down to, to improve their handicaps? What are some things that you try to do to help them? That's a great question. I work with that a lot. I do with, with women, men. What I get them to understand is what the handicap system is and what it's designed to do. It's not, it's not necessarily just for competition. It can be used for yourself for your evaluation of where you are. And I, I call it um, it's kind of like your ID um, or your driver's license identifies you as, you know, Carol Clark. Your handicap right. invi- is, you know, identifies you as this level of player. And I try to get them to understand what that means from a perspective of how they're playing the game. And most of the time you'll get a 36 handicapper that's out there trying to play a par. And they're never going to move from 36 anywhere if they're, if they're constantly measuring themselves against par. They have to measure themselves against something that's realistic. So the first thing I'll mm-hmm. do with the 36 <clears throat> handicappers, I'll take their scorecards and cross off par, and I'll tell them on a par three, you have three shots to get to the green. And then you have to be a good putter and try to two-putt every green. So we work a lot on their putting, and then we work backwards from there. So on a par four, they have four shots to get to the green, and then two-putt. On a par five, it's five shots to the green and two-putt. When you tell somebody, I don't care who it is, that on a par three, their handicap allows them three shots to get to the green, it just yep. blows their mind. They go, wow. 
and <laughs> I've got a, a team that I'm, I got. A, I have a team that I'm taking out to Pebble Beach in a month, and one of our players is a fairly high handicapper. She's probably around 28 to 30, and we're calling her our horse. I said, man, you just get out there and you play your handicap. Play your handicap. And we got this thing because it's the two best ball of five. If she can play her handicap, she's going to be great. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In, in really pounding that into her in the last month, we've been doing practice rounds at our course. Um, she went out the other day, and, you know, she's a 28 handicapper. She shot 43 on the front nine. Wow. Just by, just by trying to just play her handicap. Uh-huh. And to me, that's amazing. I mean, I get out there and struggle to shoot 42 sometimes these days. And uh, I was just amazed, and she's, it's, it's brought new life to her. She wants to play every day. She says to me every day, can we go out and practice? Can we go out and practice? Can we go out and practice? And um, it's because it's manageable to her, and it, it lets her be comfortable with who she is as a golfer, but it's also going to help her improve. So I, I think that when we can look at it from that perspective and help our students to really understand how to move forward, um, I like the break in the, the – the golf the golf scorecard down in the three holes. I think that's a great way to do it as well. So, but that's what I do with most of my students and try to get them there. And I I look at three shots. I say, if you go out, I said, no, go home and put uh, the number three on your refrigerator and just put it up there with a magnet. And I say every day, every time you go out, you're looking for three shots. So improve your round by three shots somewhere. Most of the time, they're going to get those in chipping or putting. Right. Sometimes it's approach shot to the green. You know, on any given day, you're going to be good or bad off the tee. And, it's, you know, as Jordan Spieth represented this week, his short game and his, his um, putting saved him. I mean, he came right. in, what, third? <laughs> it was his V game, basically. So, I mean, he said all week that he didn't have his game. Uh, yet, he was right there. He's right there at the top. So, either he's really exceptionally good or his short game is exceptionally strong, which I believe that is the case. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. And, and I like that approach, Carol, that that you've taken with with uh, your students like that because I, I think a lot of them focus on the numbers. You know, they're like you said, they're focusing on par. They're trying to, you know, they see that thirty odd handicap and they think, well, how can I knock, you know, uh, you know, knock it down by ten? And then they get to maybe twenty handicap and well, how can I? And they're focused so much on the numbers that they're not really actually playing the game any longer. And they're not right. practicing the things that they need to be practicing. So I like that that approach that that you've taken is is actually you know getting them to play um, not to par but to play their handicap and and not you know not dwelling on on those numbers like that. And obviously, uh, as this woman uh, you just attested to uh, went out and shot a 43, and that's phenomenal. That that's incredible actually right. um, for her right. to be able to do that. Um, we're talking a little bit about today the, the mental side of, of the game. It's part of um, Sinead's Own Your Game series, which is part of her Own Your Game Academy. And one of the things that you know you probably heard me ask um, um, Dana earlier is about the mental side of things and, and you know how does she rank herself um, in, in her mental game. How do you rank yourself as a mental uh, player? Was that a strong area of your game? Um, was it uh, not as strong as other areas? And what do you try to do when you're working with students? Because a lot of them don't even think about the mental side of the game. They're too busy worrying about hitting the perfect swing and hitting the perfect shot. How do you help them focus and, and really tap into to the uh, areas of their mental side of the game that they really need to? Um, start with yourself first and then work into uh, with, with your students. Well, 
nature. For me, it was difficult because I had not played golf competitively. I had played golf as a country club member. I had played softball competitively, but I had never played golf competitively. So I worked for a little while when I was trying to get better at being competitive in golf. I would I would throw myself in tournaments that I had no business being in. I went into the U.S. Publix qualifier one time. I was a 20 handicapper. I joined. I went to the U.S. Publix qualifier because I needed the competition. I needed to learn how to compete. And uh, through five holes, I was one under, you know, as a 20 handicapper in that event. So, but I had, and with those things, I was almost like I was putting myself to the fire, and I had no business being there. I would do U.S. Open qualifiers, had no business being there, but I had to learn what it was like to be out there in that competitive level. So I worked with a friend of mine, Veronica Kerman, and she helped me to translate my success in softball to my trying to get that mental strategy in golf. And it really was helpful to be able to correlate the two together. She asked me a couple questions. What was your what was your strong point in softball? I said, well, I just felt like any ball, I could get it. You know, if the ball was hit to me, I played third base. I could get to it. I could hustle. I was a real hustler. So that was one of the words I used when I would get out on the golf course in competition or, or whatever I was doing. I would use that word hustle or or grind or whatever, you know. So I, it was a different mental state that I did put myself in. And it was tough because, like I said, I, I'm out there playing with Cindy Miller's. And right. uh, Cindy Miller's played on the tour. I've never played on the tour. My first LPGA national championship I went to play in, I was paired with um, Teresa Ishiguru. And she's a, she had been on the Futures Tour, I think, at that time. And um, Patty Frome Post, I think. And I'm out there just trying to stay out of their way, you know. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, scared to death, just trying to stay out of their way. But at the end of the round, Patty said to me, she said, Carol, i got to tell you something. I just shot 73, and I'm miserable. I don't know what you shot. I know it was more than that. She said, but your attitude is phenomenal. I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I thought she was going to ridicule me or something about your game stinks or whatever. But And so I, I use that as I use that as a kind of a um, – um, springboard for myself because that wasn't always my attitude. I would lose my temper while I was playing. My mentor was a lady named Marge Clemens. Marge was 74 when I met her, and she could shoot her age. And she said to me one time, she says, Carol, you're a good player, but you're no fun to play with. And it broke my heart. And she said, you get so mad about your golf game, it affects my game, and I don't appreciate that. Oh, and so wow. then I had to kind of, I had to catch myself, and I had to think, you know, I was taking that competitiveness that I was in softball and bringing it to golf, but with an unreal expectation. You see, right. I didn't have the experience in golf that I had in softball. I had no business being that bold, I guess, or that arrogant to think that I could just step up and hit a golf ball and expect it to go wherever it went, you know, and, you know, it had to be perfect. Um, Dana said something about golf maturity, and there is a maturity in golf, and Cindy, I think you'll agree. You see that in players. You see that in in country club players. You see it in the in the ladies club champion, the men's club champion. That that they get it. You know, golf doesn't give you anything. Everything yeah. you do in golf has to be earned. I go out there today and shoot my best round. Guess what? I step on the tee tomorrow. I got to do it all over again. I get no credit right. for today. And, and that's I think, what makes it so cool. Right. 
Now, another thing that I'm doing with my students, you asked about my students, I just went through the Opti International Performance Training with Dr. Debbie Cruz out in Arizona. And I did, I've become one of the first, uh, I think there was nine of us there. So we're the first nine certified professionals to be able to use this this performance system. And it's, it's really, really phenomenal. It's very technical as far as the, you know, it's, uh, science. And I'm not much of a science geek, but I'm learning. So you put this OptiBand on your forehead, and it gets an EEG e e of your brain. Or, well, yeah. And uh, you can see what the brain's doing in performance. And I'm using it right now. I've got a little test group of about four students, and I'm using it, and they're blown away. So it's helping them to be able to understand what their brain's doing and what their brain is doing when it's in performance and how the balance of the brain is essential for peak performance. So it's um, it's cutting edge. It's the neuroscience that everybody's talking about, and they've used in other areas. And Dr. Debbie Cruz has put 30 years of research into this, and um, it's it's exciting to see what I'm able to do with some of my students that are some of them are high performing. You know, low de low number handicappers. I've got like a three handicapper that's using it. I have a woman who's a 15 that I'm doing it with, and another gentleman who's a 15 and believes in himself. He's a five. <laughs> If it, was, if it wasn't for his mental game. <laughs> and I'm just so excited to be using this and, uh, um, and helping people get to that next level for themselves. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing, you know, with some of the things that are coming out now in the profession that are, are analyzing and, and helping to um, let coaches and teachers understand um, their players a little bit and, and their students a little bit better and, and being able to then... Um, translate that information to, to help improve, uh, you know, the golfers out there. Um, a couple of other things I want to make note uh, in the notes here, and as I said, I didn't want to read it all off at the beginning because I wanted to, you know, sort of as we went through, but um, uh, you're currently vice uh, president of the Southeast section of the LPGA, and you're going to be running for section president this year um, with your running mate, Anne-Marie uh, Goslick. Um, tell us a little bit about that, uh, some of the things that you're doing uh, um, in, in, uh, in your section. Right. So I've been a section officer for, gosh, almost. I've been a, a LPGA Class A since 2004, and I think I became an officer in 2006. So I've been an officer that entire time. I maybe took like half a year break when, um, when I was a treasurer or something like that, and then became vice president. So I have a passion for the organization of the LPGA and the teaching and club professional portion of that, and I really feel like I'm a pretty good supporting role for the things that the LPGA Team CP are trying to accomplish. I've been on uh, committees nationally and locally, and I really like the direction that the LPGA is going. I think we're, we're at the forefront of we are the women, women of golf and teaching professionals. We, I believe we have the best non-method method of teaching because we focus on the student themselves. So I'm excited to be taking my career in the LPGA as an officer to the next level as a section president. Um, I've had a lot of great training under great presidents that have, that have been in our section in the past, and I really am um, anticipating that, uh, you know, hopefully if our, if our, section, our section members uh, think that I'm worthy of the role, that Anne-Marie and I will be able to do a good job and help our section to become strong and uh, very vital to the membership. That's our main goal is to be able to include the membership 
in this association, which it is still it's a member run association. So we want to hear their hear their ideas and get them involved and have them be a part of what what, what is uh, a great organization moving forward. Very well. You are truly a giver, and that's you know, so nice to you. see. Thank you, you know, Jamie. Me... I appreciate that and had a lot of good help along the way. You know, something that I've I've learned in the last, um, I mean, I've always known that the uh, the LPJ has been a great organization, but here in the last few years, particularly, you know, Cindy, with with working with you here on the show, and and Carol having great guests like you on, um, just how hard um, the members of this organization, of the LPJ organization, um, and its various affiliates, um, just how hard they are really working to grow this game. Um, and, and I, I got to give you know kudos to to women like yourselves and to uh, great up and comers like Dana who was on the show earlier and and some of the other uh, young players that are now coming in uh, through the Symmetra Tour and you know Cactus Tours and all these other different areas and and the you know literally thousands of, of club professionals and uh, teach professionals as well um, throughout the various women's organizations. You ladies are doing a fantastic job, and I'm. I'm very honored to, to say that, that I'm learning a lot as I go along and I hope that, you know, Cindy through this program and with help of you, Carol, and, and many of the other guests coming on the show, that we can really, you know, kind of ignite a fire, if you will, um, for women's golf, not just at the professional level. It's great that, you know, all these uh, ladies and, and, you know, champions uh, can play on the tours, but I think just for the everyday um, woman out there and the everyday young girl out there really gets introduced because as you put uh, in the notes here that I was reading, golf really is a game for a lifetime. There's so many things that you can benefit from uh, by adding it to to your uh, lifestyle, if you will. And uh, you've touched on a few of them here today. And I want to ask you one other question because I'm not familiar with this. Um, Carol, what is the global education team that the LPGA has, the teacher and club professionals? Explain a little bit about that. Sure. The global education team is a group of folks that help our members get through the education process that the LPGA requires. It's about a four-year program that the LPGA teaching at club professional members go through, from seminars they have to go to, uh, to online learning and uh, testing and practical teaching and evaluation along the way. And so I'm on the global education team, and we call it global because we now have a teaching membership in Korea. So we have a whole huh. other... <laughs> we're we're across the waters now in Korea. And my first my first experience in being on this global team, I thought I was just going to get some training on doing it, and kind of got thrown into the fire. And I get there, and we're evaluating uh, these ladies who are coming into the LPGA, and they were doing their level three, which is, is they're going to become going from class B to class A, and wow. they were all Korean. And I was like, well, how are we going to evaluate Koreans? Because they, you know, most of them don't speak English. It was amazing to me how they could get the content of what the LPGA requires from them and have this language barrier and still give good golf lessons and still give lessons that would qualify them to be Class A teaching professionals in the LPGA. So it's a, I, love, I love the fact that, that I, I get to be a part of that because I know how important it was to have Somebody helped me through that process, and to just see the the quality of instructors that we have coming through, our organization is doing a great job of training these ladies to teach golf. And um, right. I think they can be teachers of anything. It just happens to be golf with what we teach. 
Well, and, and and you're exactly right. And and it's you know I think a lot of, especially on an international scale, I think a lot of these women that are getting in, whether it be in Korea, I know in Thailand and, and many other areas uh, abroad, um, they're just like sponges. They just you know especially if they're in an area that golf has not been prominent as it is here in the United States, uh, or certainly for as long. Uh, it's such an interesting game to them that they have just gravitated and uh, you know we're seeing leaps and bounds as I'm sure you have in in some of these different foreign countries that they're just gravitating to golf they just see the benefits of of golf um, because it does mimic life in so many ways and it's a challenging sport it's an individual sport um, but it's just something that that many of them and I'm not surprised that they've gravitated to uh, to the teaching side of it as well and wanting to share that knowledge and and as I said uh, a moment ago, you know, Cindy and, and Carol, you, you ladies do a fantastic job um, in, in really expanding the sport, uh, particularly in the women's market. Well, it's also well, we a love sport what that's we acceptable. It's a sport that is acceptable to be a woman playing it. You know, a lot of these other sports, you know, are not, you know, women's basketball is great, but still seen more as a man's sport. You know, people don't watch the women's game like they would the men's game and it's getting better with women's golf more more uh more men are watching the women's golf and it's actually i have a lot of men that tell me they'd rather watch the women play because it's more like the game that they play the ball goes about the same distance that they would hit it so i think it's um i think it's an area that it's going to grow even more and we've we've got we now have 23 percent of women in the united states playing golf that's the most we've ever had so where golf looks like it's dying in some areas, it's growing as far as women are concerned. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be a female professional in this industry. I think it gives us great opportunities. Uh, clubs are going to need female professionals. So I think it's uh, a great time to be a female in the golf industry. I, I couldn't agree more with you, and, and I'm very uh, very excited for, for the industry and particularly for women's golf, and that's why we enjoy, Cindy and I enjoy doing this program and, and bring it to our audience, um, some of the many great professionals such as yourself, Carol, uh, and some of the players like Dana and others that are up and coming. Um, we enjoy bringing this to the audience. Um, Carol, I want to thank you for joining us, and and, um, and uh, we hope that uh, you continue with success, and good luck on, on uh, running for section president uh, this year, and uh, I'm, I'm quite certain you'll, you'll get it with ease. And just keep doing the fantastic work. And you're, you have an open invitation. We'd love to have you back any time that you want to come back and and uh, and share something with the audience. Um, just uh, just let us know, and we'll be more than happy to do that. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much, Cindy. I'll talk to you guys later. You are welcome. Have a great day. All right. All right. You too. Bye bye. All right. Thank you, Carol. Bye bye. All right, that was uh, Carol Clark, um, LPGA Class A professional. She's um, certainly a great, uh, a great lady, and and um, we have to we have to wrap up, Cindy. I know you need to go, so let's uh, let's end this segment. We want to thank um, all of the listeners out there for tuning in faithfully each and every week, and we will be back here next Tuesday uh, at 9 a.m. Eastern uh, with some more great guests and some interesting conversation to share with you. So go and have a great uh, week, everybody. Cindy, thank you as always, and hope you feel better. And uh, we will see you next week here on the Women of Golf Show. Thank you, and God bless everybody. Thanks, Ted. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.